All right. Proverbs, not Revelation. Proverbs chapter 14. I guess I instinctively enjoyed the study in Revelation. I just wanted to go back to it. So we're going to um, do what we have been doing the last few chapters. I'm just going to pick a few verses that I think stand out, have stood out to me as I've read chapter 14. So we're, we're not technically going to cover the whole chapter, but we're going to just cover a theme within chapter 14. And so the next week we will pick up in chapter 15. So uh, we're just uh, not even halfway through yet this book. So we've got a little ways to go. But at this pace, uh, I think we'll go through it pretty quick. Okay, so Proverbs 14. But before we get into that, I just want to kind of set the stage for the theme that we're going to talk about. Uh, you know, our, our culture, our, wor- our worldly culture and its love for sin- sinful pleasure is a reproach on our nation. Our worldly culture and its love of sinful pleasure is a reproach on our nation. You guys agree with that? I mean, you can't go too far, whether you're looking at some type of form of media, whether it's social media or television or you know, just even involved in people's lives that are, are worldly, that are not Christians. Just the, um, just the love for pleasure and sin and sensuality and, and lust and just all, the, all that that encompasses is so overwhelming and it's such a reproach on our nation. And this is kind of the, the picture that I had of it as I was thinking, and Chuck's going to put this up on the screen, when unrighteousness and, and injustice, when unrighteousness and injustice prevail in our society, it is like adding bacteria to an open wound. So you, you think of an open wound. This is our condition as uh, sinful humanity. We have an open wound. We're sick, you know, because of the, the curse of sin. Uh, our, our culture and those that are apart from Christ, they're living like with an open wound. And whenever unrighteousness and injustice prevail in our society, it's like adding bacteria to the already open wound and it adds to the sickness and it compounds the sickness and it makes it worse and it becomes progressively more uh, you know, sinful and disgusting and vile. And that's the progression that our society is going down. And I, you know, I think about this often. You know, I watched a documentary about Ronald Reagan uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was listening. This, it was just about the highlights of his eight years in office. And you know, in the mid to in the early to mid '80s, you know, he's giving a speech after a terrorist attack, and you know, it was a terrorist attack where a person got in a vehicle and drove their vehicle into a building and blew up, and 200 people died. And he's talking about a terrorist attack. And I'm like, wow, this is just like right now. And this, the terms he was using to describe the terrorist attack, the way he talked about it. You know, I was, I was only, this is in 83, I was only two years old at that time. So I was not watching a television when President Ronald Reagan gave that speech. Uh, I am an, an 80s baby. And so I don't have a lot of memory of him other than uh, maybe when I was six or seven years old. But... Um, so just for me to hear that, it was an interesting thing to see. And so I'll often question, I wonder if it's, you know, these types of things have been going on. And I know that they have been. I know that sin has been around since the garden. But I think because of our media, 
because of social media, because of instant access to information, we know everything negative that goes on around the world instantly. I have taken off the breaking news notification on my Fox News app. It's off. I don't, because it would constantly be going off. Sometimes I'll look at Fox News, see what's going on, and it'll have five or six breaking news things that have come across, and my phone would have been blowing up throughout the day. And that's, and so I think that plays a part in it, but I think what media has done is, the instant access to media, it has shown us the pervasiveness and the widespread nature of sin and what it has caused all over the place. And so now we get instant access to it. And now, like as Glenda was saying, we get these reports over and over and over again of the effects, the ugly effects of sin in our nation and in our world. And we're just like, I can't take another breaking news notification. I can't hear it again. And that's where we are. And so maybe we're beginning to see more of the reality of what has been going on in our world. Because it's always been going on. But it is true that men, according to scripture, are going to wax worse and worse. Sin will become more pervasive. And this is the culture that we live in. Our nation is sick. And she is suffering under the effects of sin without restraint. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible spoke about this many, 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 many years ago through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. This is what it says in Romans 1, 18 through 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth are these unrighteous men suppressing? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. If you, can, if you continue on in 20, 21, 22, 23, it talks about creation. Paul begins to talk about how God has revealed himself through creation. And so unrighteous men and women who do not want to acknowledge God, who want to live this life as their own God, they look at the reality of creation and they they see there must be a God. I look at order. I look at creation and I see order and not chaos and how the very universe is, is ordered and designed And it speaks to me there's a God, but I don't want to believe that truth. So what do I do? I suppress that truth. I push it down. I I cleanse my mind from that thought and say, that can't be true. That can't be real. Because if that is real, then I will be accountable for the way I live my life. And unrighteous men and women do not want to be accountable to anybody but themselves. They don't want to answer for the impulses of their flesh. Naturally, that's how we are. We don't want to answer to anybody. We want to be the God. We want to be our own God. We want to be the God of our own world, of our own life. Nobody can tell me what to do. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, my sister would try to boss, boss me around. I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. And I would always say, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, you can't tell me what to do. And uh, that's, how we, that's how we are, naturally, as depraved human beings apart from Christ. Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own man. Do what I want to do. I want to suppress that truth of accountability. Right? Maybe you're not like that. (laughs) But we all were. And sometimes that flesh will come up and we want to, you know, we'll say things like that. But God, you know, God reminds us that we're not in charge. But this is the book of Romans. Now, now here's the progression, okay? So, so these people, these unrighteous people, they suppress the truth about God, and here's the pattern. And I believe we are in Romans 1, okay? We are in Romans 1. I believe this with all my heart, that this is where we are. Therefore, 
God gave them up. Or you could say it, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. What does it mean to give them over? It means that these unrighteous people say, I don't want God's laws. I don't want God's standards. I don't want God's ways. I will live how I want to live. And God says, okay, go ahead. I will give you over to to the repercussions of your actions. I will give you over to that. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God as creator and sovereign and Lord. They exchanged that truth for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. They served themselves, what's created, instead of the creator. For this reason... Again, God gave them up, gave them over to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God gave them over. This is where we are. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, gave them over to a debased mind. So it's like a seared conscience, a seared mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give, some translations say, hearty approval to those who practice them. That is where we are in our culture. If you want to live whatever lifestyle you want to live, those that agree with you, they're going to say, go ahead, do it. I believe in you. I heard this coach the other day, basketball coach, delving into the issue of morality. I'm like, stick to basketball, dude. Stick to coaching Duke, okay? He said the NBA All-Star game wasn't, is not going to be hosted in North Carolina, in Charlotte, because there's a law about the issue of same-sex marriage or gender identity or something in that realm. And he, this coach who coaches for Duke, spoke out and said, it is, basically he was saying, it is ridiculous. It is embarrassing, is what he said. It is embarrassing that, that we in our country, that we have a state like that that would take, take that stand. And so what is he saying? He's giving hearty approval to those who want to do what God's word said is clearly wrong. It's clearly sinful. And that's where we are in our culture. And it's not just the issue of same-sex marriage or gender, gender, gender identity. It's any area of sin. Whenever someone lives in sin and they don't want to be accountable to God, when they look at somebody else and they're doing the same thing, it gives them approval. And so they want to encourage that person, yeah, go for it, do it, go for it. Let's just all do this together and we will give each other approval in our sinful lifestyle. And this is where we are in our country, in our nation, and in the world. This is our reality. So where's the hope? This is depressing, right? This is overwhelming. This is, this, you look at this and you think, oh God, what's, what's the answer? Where is the answer? God, we need your help in our country and in our world. And we get overwhelmed. And we get frustrated and we get, sometimes we get angry. We get angry at people who want to live like that. And we, our, our emotions go up and down. We, we can be compassionate and we can get frustrated and we can get angry. And we just can be overwhelmed at 
the ugly effects of sin in our culture? Where's the answer? Well, that Jesus is the answer, but it's Jesus in you is the answer. And this is what the Bible says. This is Matthew. I'm going to read this scripture real quick. Matthew 5. Well, actually, before we go there, let me read the, the, the text in Proverbs that, that, that we're going um, to focus on. And this kind of illustrates what, what we've been talking about. Proverbs 14, 34 says this. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts, and this when I was reading through Proverbs 14, and, and, I, and I got to this, this is, there's 35 verses in 14, and I read 34, and I was like, this is the verse I want to focus on. This is the theme I want to talk about. So I looked back through Proverbs 14, and I pulled out some other verses that talk about this theme. But this righteousness exalts a nation. When righteousness rules, when righteousness is exalted, when righteousness is lifted up, when there are righteous men and women in a nation, the nation is exalted. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach. When you look at a nation filled with sin and sinful people doing things that dishonor God, it is a reproach to a nation, to any people. Proverbs 14.2, just to kind of Show some of these verses in Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, 2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises God, despises him. 14, 9 says this, Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. So fools mock, fools mock. Uh, verse 12, Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its but, but its end is the way to death. And in, in, in this context, I think that's a picture of Romans 1. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right. They want to go their own way. But in its end, when a man wants to go his own way apart from surrender to God, the end of that way is the way of death. Proverbs 14.22 says, do, do they not go astray who devise evil? These unrighteous men who suppress the truth? Those who devise good, though, meet steadfast love and faithfulness. And Proverbs 26 and 27 says this. says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And this is, this, these people that suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they're in the snares of death. We as believers, so what's, what's the answer? In this culture, this overwhelming culture that we see the ugly effects of sin, we as believers are the visible display of God's righteousness in our families, on our jobs, in our community, and in our nation. We are the answer. Jesus in us is the answer. God put us here as Christians on planet Earth. He could have done anything with us, but he designed us to be where we are, in the families we are, on the jobs we are, in the city we're in, and in the nation that we're in, to shine as lights. And this is what Scripture says in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, you, you and I, we're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does it mean we're the salt of the earth? Salt was a preservative. We, we are that preserving quality in our country, in our city, in our nation that, that is keeping 
the wrath of God, the full judgment of God away. And as long as we are here, we are the salt. We, we are the ones that God has put here to, 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 to do what's next in verse 14. We are the preserver of, from God's judgment fully coming on, on the world so that we can be, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is, this is what God has done. And so when, you know, I, I have been overwhelmed just like you have been. When, you know, whenever I just get the reports and I see the ugliness of sin, I'm tempted to be overwhelmed. But that cannot be the response we stay in. We can't stay in that response because then we just become ineffective. And so we have to look at ourselves as lights, salt and light in this life, in our families, on our jobs, in our community, in, in our city, in our nation. A godly life gives convincing evidence of the saving power of God. A godly life, a life that displays God's character, a life that displays God's nature. When you are in contact with people that are unrighteous and are suppressing the truth about who God is, when they look at your life, you are salt and light. And it displays to the world the saving power of God and what God can do. Whenever you feed the poor, when you clothe the homeless, when you care for the widows and you care for the orphans, whenever, whenever you, you go on mission trips, whenever you, you do things, when you do your good works as unto Christ, it displays to the world that you're different. There's something about you that sets you apart and it's the display of God's glory through the compassion of Christ that's in your heart. That's being salt and that's being light. And that's what it means that when unrighteousness is in a nation, that, 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 let me read the scripture again, I lost my thought there. Righteousness, that's what it means that righteousness exalts a nation. That we are, the, we are the visible evidence of God's righteousness. If our nation is going to be exalted, it's going to be because we, as God's righteousness, are lights in the world. We can't wait on politicians. We're looking for a politician to stand up and be righteous. Look, I don't have to have a righteous politician. I don't have to. Just honor the Constitution, and take care of life, and defend marriage. They don't have to be a Christian. We are the Christians. Would it be great to have a Christian president? Absolutely, I would love it. It'd be wonderful, and we have had some. But that's not our answer. We are the answer that God has placed in this life. A godly life gives convincing evidence of the saving power of God. So I just wrote down three thoughts around this subject of righteousness in our nation, of righteousness exalting a nation. Just three things for us to remember about about the righteousness of God in in our life and the practical living out of righteousness. Number one, we must never underestimate the impact of our godly choices. We must never underestimate the impact of our godly choices. You know, there's so many things that sometimes that we do that I think become natural for us as Christians and we just act in godly ways because the Holy Spirit's been working in our life and we're just responding to what has motivated us by God's Spirit and we just are living in godly ways and we make choices every day that honor God. But we should never underestimate the power behind those choices. I mean, just think, just think about the godly choices that were made by men and women that we know of in God's Word. Think about, think about Mary. 
You know, Mary gets a word from an angel that she's going to become pregnant. She's not married. She hasn't known a man. And what is her response? What was her godly response? Lord, be it done unto me as you say. Lord, I want your will. She made a decision, a godly choice to, to walk in God's will. And what about Joseph, her fiance? He had a choice to make. What did, what did he do? He said, he said that he was going to protect Mary. He was going to be faithful to her. He wasn't going to put her away. And he had the right, according to Jewish custom, to have her stoned for the shame that was brought upon his name because of her pregnancy. But he didn't do it. He protected her. He, he got a word from God, and he responded to that word and honored her and protected her. It was a choice that he made to honor God, to do what was right. He believed what, what the angel had spoken was from God, and he obeyed God's word. And we could go on and on with stories in Scripture of men and women of God. I think of Esther. I was reading the story of Esther uh, th- this afternoon as I was studying. Just think how powerful her story was, that she had a choice when Mordecai, was trying to encourage Esther, you have to go to the king and you have to talk to him and plead for your people. Haman is going to kill the Jews. He is going to kill the Jews. He has commissioned this to happen. You have to go. And there there was things, there was ways in which even a queen, like Queen Esther, ways that she could not communicate even to the king. And she was risking her life to go before the king to plead for her people. But what did Mordecai tell her? Perhaps... Perhaps you have been born for such a time as this. And she made a godly decision to be bold and to step out. And you look at what happened. God, through her life, saved her people. That's powerful. Godly choices. You, you, think, you think of lives throughout Scripture of men and women that made choices. And sometimes, you know, I think we don't always think about the choices that we make. Sometimes we're, we're not thinking, I wonder what this choice is going to make and how it's going to impact someone's life. And sometimes we find out later on, someone will come and tell you, you know, when you, when you did this or you said that or you responded this way, do you know what that, how that impacted me? Just think about how we respond to people when we're at the grocery store, or we're at Walmart, just the little small things that we say, the, the, the godly decision we make to look the cashier in the eye and to say, how are you doing today? How's your life going? And then by the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart, you discern that something's going on in her life. And you look at her and you say, can I pray for you? And you pray for her. That godly decision, you have no idea the impact that that can make. We can never underestimate the impact that a righteous person submitted to the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life when they are led by the Spirit of God make godly choices, it impacts people's lives. And God places us on the earth to do that. Amen? And we cannot, we cannot allow this feeling of over, being overwhelmed and, and the, the tendency to be depressed about the, 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 the nature of our society. Yes, it's bad. And, and, and it's men that are unrighteous are suppressing your truth and they're parading their sin all over media and TV and, and, and it's ugly and it's disgusting but we're here to make a difference. God's place is here to be, to be difference makers, to be, make an impact in, for, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of his name. Your life has impact on someone. As you mature and grow in the Lord, your influence increases. No matter how broad your influence is, we all are currently impacting someone's life. We, we, we all are. 
as you're, you know, God can broaden your impact. And as he broadens your impact, you need more, more and more grace to be able to be a godly example. But in your life, where you are, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, on your job, wherever you are, you are currently impacting someone. Currently, you are. So never underestimate the impact of your godly choices. Never underestimate the power behind showing up to work on time. Never underestimate the power behind not talking bad about your boss when everyone else is. Never underestimate, men, the power behind not laughing at that sexual joke on your job. They'll look at you funny, and they'll think that you're trying to embarrass them or shame them, but stand your ground and don't, don't join in on the, on the dirty talk. Never underestimate the power of your godly choices. That's so, it is sowing seeds in the life of people that are ungodly, that are unrighteous, and they're going to look at that and you're going to make an impact. We cannot change the moral degradation of our culture. But we can, in our sphere of influence, impact others towards Christ-likeness. We can. I mean, I can't change the world. I can't, I can't get people to act like Christ. It's, it's too far gone right now. Our world is headed in a direction that I don't think is going to turn around. But God has given us the opportunity to shine our lights in the middle of that chaos. And God is going to save. And he's going to save. And he's going to redeem. And he's going to call those out that are seeking him. And this is, this is what we're here for. Amen? What's the goal of all of this? In the middle of a chaotic world. The goal is multiplied Christ-likeness on display in our world. For the purpose of gospel proclamation. We want multiplied Christ-likeness on display in the world for the purpose of the gospel moving forward. Amen? We must never underestimate the impact of our godly choices because righteousness exalts a nation. I want you to get that. Righteousness exalts a nation. The righteousness of God in us and our righteous acts exalt a nation. Amen? Here's a second thought that I had in line with that. We must never underestimate the impact of our godly choices. Then number two, we must always lean fully on the grace of God. We must always lean fully on the grace of God. Because the tendency is to think, oh no, i got to act godly all the time now. i got to work really hard and make sure I'm godly all the time. Make sure that I don't ever make mistakes. Because if I make mistakes, then people are going to get the wrong impression about who a Christian is. And I'm just going to ruin my witness. And those are all good thoughts to have, by the way. But... You can just become so consumed with works that, that you, you lose sight that it's God's grace that empowers you to live right in, in this life. And I love these scriptures that we're going to read about leaning fully on the grace of God. I just love this. This is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Estelle and I were reading this a couple of days ago, and I just, I love it. I love this picture here. It says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone. I just, I've got to stop right there. I just had this thought when I read the word warning everyone. Do you know that's what you're supposed to do? What are we warning people of? Those that are unrighteous and suppressing the truth. Warning them of impending judgment, right? Hell is your destiny. That's a part of the gospel message. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, you need some wisdom. You might not want to walk up to somebody first time you meet them. You're going to go to hell. <laughs> you're gonna burn <laughs> it's not gonna go good for you 
but you got to warn people with wisdom. Warn them and teach them with wisdom. You know, you might want to find out about their life. How, what's your name? <laughs> How old are you? Where do you work? What are your interests? Who are you married to? Tell me about your life. That's wisdom. You build relationship with somebody, and when you have built that relationship with them, then you say, hey, I love you. Because, and this is what happens when you build a relationship with unrighteous people who suppress the truth. This amazing thing happens. You start loving them because you're building a relationship with them. God b- builds this compassion in your heart. That is what is, that's the difference between uh, people who judge the world with hatred they might be telling them the truth. That's the, that's the, 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 um, what's the people who picket funerals and uh, Westboro Baptist. That's the Westboro Baptist people. They, they have, they're devoid of the compassion of God because they just want to go out and tell people what the truth is apart from relationship. They just want to blast that all over and they do it with hate. They haven't taken the time to get to know people, to, to develop a relationship with people. And they are void of the compassion that comes from Christ. We still need to warn people. See, you tell them the truth of God's word, but you've got to walk in wisdom. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, now this was all bonus, okay, that was just all bonus message there, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is the powerful part here. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. I just love that contrast right there. This is what I do. I toil to do this. I struggle, I toil, and I struggle with his energy. I just love that. Don't you love that? You guys love that? Talk to me. Isn't that awesome? That's good. It's like it's not my energy. I'm toiling. I'm working. And that's the, that's the beauty of the Christian life. Is yes, we are pursuing godly deeds so that those godly deeds can be seen in this life. We, we are responsible to obey God's word. God's grace doesn't exempt us from being responsible to obey his word. You just don't walk in grace and then God says, okay, you just, you don't, you're not responsible to do anything that honors me. No, because of God's grace, our motivations are changed and we desire to live godly. But we can never separate it from the reality that our toil and our struggle is with his strength, is with his energy. That is so beautiful and powerful right there. For this I toil. What are we toiling for? For the proclamation of the gospel. And I struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. That is so good. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says the same thing. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let me stop there because all kind of questions come up like, oh my goodness, we've got to work out our salvation? I thought salvation was by was by grace apart from works. That Greek verb, work out, when it says work out your own salvation, means to continually work to bring something to completion. It refers to the believer's responsibility for active pursuit of obedience in the process of sanctification, in the process of becoming more like Christ. That's what it means to work out. This is not a speaking of a salvation, this is not a salvation picture of being justified before God. It's a picture of becoming more like Christ. So work out, that means obey God in your life as you are maturing in the process of sanctification. Because you know, here's the picture, you're justified when you're saved, when you are born again, and in this middle ground between justification and ultimate glorification, you are being sanctified, but ultimately one day you will be saved fully and fully redeemed and glorified in heaven forever. So this is, this is what that 
picture is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with a sense of awe and reverence for God. But here's the, the beauty. For it is God who works in you both to will and some translations say to do, to work for his good pleasure. So God gives you the will and the desire, the strength and the desire to work according to his good pleasure. When you become a Christian, he changes your desires. And through those changed desires, your will is motivated. You, and, and, you are, and you walk in action in ways that honor God. God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God works in us. When you become a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he works in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to obey his word. To say yes to God and no to sin. To say yes to walking in obedience and displaying righteousness in a world of unrighteousness. So we must always lean fully on the grace of God. Amen? So our decisions and our godly choices have great impact in our world. And if we are going to consistently live in ways that honor God, and consistently live in ways that demonstrate godly character, it's going to be because I am leaning fully. I'm throwing all of myself onto God and his grace and saying, God, I need your strength. Because it's not every day I feel like being godly, even as a pastor. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I want to respond in ungodly ways. But God's working that out of me and you too. Amen. Must always, I just love that picture, leaning fully on the grace of God. Here's my third thought. And I think this is kind of the foundation of all of this picture here. You know, just with the thought of being overwhelmed with our culture and disgusted with the sin of our culture. I think this is what we need to remind ourselves of. We must, we must remember that our hope is in Christ and that heaven is our home. Amen. We must remember that our hope is in Christ. It, it, it can become so discouraging to see evil prevail and to see sin celebrated. We can begin to lose heart when we see the devastating effects of sin on our society. But we can't lose heart. We have to remember that our lives have impact. We have to remember that righteousness exalts a nation. And when righteous men and women do nothing, when righteous men and women sit on the sidelines, when righteous men and women don't, don't, don't respond to what God calls us to do to be salt and light, then it's a reproach on our nation. But when righteous men and women, who are the display of God's righteousness in our nation, and when we do make a decision to pursue obeying God in our lives, then the gospel is continually proclaimed in all the spheres of the influence that God has given us. And, and God works in our lives and through our lives and his kingdom is built and people are saved. I just, I, I love what happens in our church. There's so many times people come that are visitors that aren't saved and, and God is doing his work and he's saving men and women and, and children. And, and this is what's the beautiful picture of the gospel. This is why we celebrate the church. Because, when, because we're here this nation will be exalted because of the righteousness of God that is in our lives and on our church. But in the midst of all that, we must remember that our hope is in Christ and that heaven is our home. Our hope is not in politicians. You know, who do we vote for this year? <laughs> Never Hillary, right? Who do we vote for? 
I, I, I choose to vote for Jesus. <laughs> as, I choose to vote for Jesus as uh, the ultimate ruler and leader and authority of our nation. He's got my vote always, now and always and forever. But I am going to vote for somebody other than Hillary. And it will probably be a man with funny hair. But um, anyway, uh, so who do we vote for? I, I mean, I have no hope in Donald Trump, okay? I don't trust the man. All politicians. I, he, can, he can talk his game all he wants. I'm not a politician. I'm, a, I'm an outsider, and I'm a businessman. I'm not in, in, the, pol- in the political game. Yeah, he is. That's how, he, that's how he got the nomination. He's been in the political game forever. He's been giving money to all the liberals all along. He, what, however he can boost his pocketbook is... Is what he's going to do. He'll fund, he's funded Hillary. He's funded liberal uh, agendas all of his life because it, it got him where he wanted to get. And now, and now this is, he can ride the re- Republican ticket and he got where he wanted to be. But my prayer is, is that God will get a hold of him. My prayer is that he will surround himself with men and women that love God and will guide his policies. That's, but, but my prayer and my hope is in God. Not in a hope that Donald Trump will do anything to fix this nation. Because he can't fix this nation. Only Jesus can fix the nation. And I, I watched the, the RNC, and people cried when Donald Trump walked out. I thought, oh my, how sad our nation is. Right? I mean, placing their hope. That, that it, I had such compassion for these people. I cry when I think of Jesus. I cry when I'm in here worshiping the risen Savior. That's because that's where my hope is. But whenever in this life your hope is Donald Trump, God bless you. You need a new revelation in life. (laughs) I mean, it's sad and comical at the same time. It's difficult. Our hope is not in politicians. Our hope is in Jesus. So whoever gets elected, look, I just want to tell you, if Hillary gets elected, we're going to wake up the next day, November 9th, The sun will rise and God's kingdom will move on. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to shine as lights because righteousness exalts a nation. And this nation will be exalted through the lives of men and women who love Christ and are pursuing godly lives and impacting those that are in their sphere of influence. Amen? Our hope is not in money. How many of you know money comes and money goes? Money's Money's not grown on trees. You can have money one day and not have money the next. Our hope is not in money. Our hope is not in positions of power. Our hope is not in favors or special treatment. Our hope is not in relationships and what they can bring us. Our hope is not in technology or medicine. Our hope is in Christ. We look to God. We look to Christ. I want to read Psalms 27 in conclusion here. I just want to end reading the word of God. And just declare, remind ourselves of where our hope is found. That in in a nation that has its heart set on unrighteousness. In a nation that's being led by people that don't honor God. In a nation that is, in a nation in a world that is filled with dangerous things that happen. We must remember this truth from Psalms 27, 1 through 14. It says, the Lord is my light. And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh. 
my enemies, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart I would have been overwhelmed. I would have been depressed. I would have felt like there was no hope. I would have wanted to run and crawl in a hole. I would have wanted to give up and said, this world is too far gone. There's too much chaos. There's too much drama. There's, let, let's just go run and have a bunker mentality and wait till Jesus comes back. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the, wait, this is a word for us. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, that's what we do, God. We wait on you. God, we, we wait on you. We will be of good courage. God, we will take heart. But we trust you, God, our Trust and our hope is not in man and politics and positions and power. God, our trust is in you, God. And, and I thank you, God, that you have commissioned us to be instruments of light in the midst of, of darkness. And the darkness cannot quench the light. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we lean fully on your grace I pray that you would help us to never underestimate the power of our godly choices and the impact that it makes in a dark world, in a dark culture. And God, when we are tempted to be overwhelmed, let us remind ourselves of what your word says, that you are our protection, you are our refuge, you are our strength. And when we are tempted to lose heart, let us remind ourselves that we believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We thank you for these truths, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.